On this episode of Doctor Who's That, we talk about moonions, face melting, and men's work. Welcome back to Doctor Who's That. This is your Doctor Who expert, Sean Gleason. And joining me as always, we have Bay. This is Bay, and I've been newly constructed from both human and robotic parts. And we have Andy. I'm Andy, and I'm, uh, I'm vulnerable to solvents. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> and we are recording this shortly after Christmas, and from the way I am feeling today, my final Christmas gift was a cold. Ooh. So hopefully uh, this goes well, and apologies in advance for anything that might happen because of that. Hey, it's it's babies. They, they've got all sorts of diseases you don't even know about. As long as you don't have any black tendrils. Yeah. Go. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> My niece had her first cold on Christmas Eve. That's how it goes. Yeah. So today we are talking about the moon base with the wonderful and very creative working title of Return of the Cybermen. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. really glad they did not go with that one. Yeah. So since you've already mentioned Cybermen, I don't I feel like the cat's out of the bag. It was very exciting to see the Cybermen again because uh the first ever appearance of the Cybermen, you kind of wonder. I mean, like, Mondas explodes. I figure they can always bring back some of these creatures, but they usually have to think up some reason. Usually, as we'll find <laughs> out. <laughs> not Kit Peddler. No, not the great Kit Peddler. So this one aired February 11th through March 4th, 1967. And with our State of the Hoonian, this story was commissioned before the last episode of The Tenth Planet was broadcast oh. due to a positive response to the Cybermen. This officially makes the Cybermen our first returning non-Dalek monster, unless you count Time Meddler as a monster. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. It's funny that you say that, though, because if it had been greenlit from that time... You'd think that they would have tweaked the ending. <laughs> I mean, by that point, it would have already have been recorded. It just hadn't aired yet. So uh, no you. way they're going back to refilm anything. No, no. And the writing credit is given solely to Kit Peddler. But once again, he worked heavily with Jerry Davis to write this one. Ennis Lloyd suggested that they use a moon setting in order to tie in with the heating up space race. So we also get our first Doctor Who story set on the moon. Peddler was given one main directive, and this directive is going to be given to just about every writer moving forward for the next little bit. And that is, the story should take place primarily in one large set with a handful of smaller ones. 
It's interesting because at, at one point a few episodes ago, and I can't remember exactly which episode we were talking about, you prefaced it saying, and maybe it was the first Cybermen one, where like it's like a, a stronghold under siege. Yeah, this was very siege. much a siege episode. I thought this is very much the same story as the Tenth Planet, with some differences. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. This is maybe better for like the end of the episode, but I thought that this was this would have been a better introduction to the Cybermen, in my opinion, than the Tenth Planet was. Though there's some wild stuff going on in the Tenth <laughs> Planet that uh, good old Kip Hedler, you know. Yeah, well, there's some wild stuff going on here, too. <laughs> Initially, peddlers started giving the Cybermen names again, like in the first story. Oh, Kit, no. <laughs> My headcanon is that he got tired of trying to come up with space names <laughs> and decided, eh, these guys just don't have them. Uh, Jerry Davis doesn't seem to have fully agreed, as he added all the names back in when he wrote the novel for this story. What? Were the names <laughs> Reggie? <laughs> I have no idea what these Ugh. cyber names would have been for this one, but they can't beat Krang like we had last time. I was gonna say, like, they need to be something like Bleep Blorp. Yeah. So, this story, like the previous one, was written before Jamie joined the cast. Ah, <laughs> Kit Peddler wanting to avoid rewrites decided to have Jamie spend the whole story unconscious in the sick bay. <laughs> Jerry Davis uh. read the script and said, yeah, we can't just keep him in bed the whole story. And he insisted that his role be expanded. They compromised on only shelving him for the first two episodes, and then they threw him some of Ben's lines for the rest of the story. You know, we've got to do something about this. I think this is a second serial in a row that this has happened. Yep. Peddler, coming up with the smart solutions. Due to some other issues that were brewing, Lloyd decided that the Cybermen should replace the Daleks as the show's default monster. And as such, he viewed this as a major story. He initiated a heavy publicity campaign for this story, Spreading images of Cybermen lining up at bus stops and using telephone booths. <laughs> he also managed to get a piece on Kit Peddler running the Radio Times just before the story began airing. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he was going full on trying to promote this. I kind of want to read that now. <laughs> I, I bet there's like some archive of it somewhere. I'm sure. A Sandra Reed was asked to make the Cybermen look more robotic and make the costume more practical for regular use so they wouldn't look like refugees from, you know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show anymore. Oh, gosh. And so she gave them three designs to choose from, with the one we see here winning out. I don't know what the other designs looked like. Uh, the winning design was made of heavy-duty vinyl with fiberglass head and chest units. Mm -hmm. It also incorporated... What I read was tennis balls, but yeah, they look more like... They're, they're wiffle balls or yeah. something. They've got those holes drilled in them. So they use some type of ball for their joints and ex-army issue boots. Uh, the design also required wearers to be at least six foot two. Oh, that's really interesting. So they had to have a casting call. Yep. 
And in total, 11 of these new costumes were made. Does this have something to do with Terry Nation trying to get a Daleks show up off the ground? It absolutely does. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Because around this time, I'm going to talk about it more in a future story. But around this time, Terry Nation asked for, you know, the full rights to the Daleks. Or at least asked Doctor Who to stop using the Daleks so that he could use them. And so there's some back and forth going on here. Well, at least it seems amiable. We've had some of these kind of things pop up where there are big personalities (laughs) and and hurt feelings and, and stuff. Yeah. So they also decided to give them a new vocal effect instead of that bizarre sing-song thing we had last time. It is much better. It's much less intelligible, but that doesn't matter. Like, it's, (laughs) it's far superior. The voice artist, Peter Hawkins, was given a modified dental palette that was designed for people who had their larynxes removed. Whoa. Oh, okay. So he was actually literally, like, yeah, he was using an, assist- an assistive device. That's interesting. Yep. When you say, like, palette, is it some device that fits in one's mouth? Or are we talking about, like, one of those electronic voice boxes for people who've, like, smoked too much or, or something like that? My assumption was that it's something that fits in the mouth, but I'm honestly not sure, just because the word palate implies that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know what those devices are called, so it's possible. Um, But, no, because it sounds like, because it did give him some trouble, it produced the desired effect. But it also gave Hawkins bad headaches and nausea when he used it. Oh. Um, Sandra Reed was also given a second task. Trouden's pants were basically gigantic clown pants. She was given the task of slowly taking the pants in each week so Trouden wouldn't notice that they were getting smaller and better fitting oh until my it God, was too this late. Is, this is so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is like... This is like some some straight up gaslighting. No, your pants yep. have always been this tight. I don't know what you're talking about. No, Pat, you're just eating a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So like after Christmas dinner, yeah. I'm sure somebody had slowly been taking my pants in little by little. <laughs> That's what happened. Sure. Just before they started filming, Patrick Trouden did an initial walkthrough of the sets to plan everything out. While he was walking through the control room set, the Gravitron prop came loose just as he walked past it and crashed to the ground where he had been an instant before. Oh. So that was a very close call. Phantom of the moon base. Yes. Trouden says that the director took immediate advantage of this and had everything moved around for, quote, safety reasons, a.k.a. so he could have better shooting angles. There was also a new addition to the production staff during this story. Both Ennis Lloyd and Jerry Davis had let the BBC know that they were thinking about leaving the show, either at the end of the season or maybe sometime during or at the end of the following one. So, you know, they're giving BBC plenty of notice. Hey, you know, we'd like to work on something else, but you got plenty of time. It's kind of a bummer. I was, <laughs> I liked that continuity. <laughs> Uh, The BBC brought in a guy named Peter Bryant to test him as a potential replacement for one or the other. Peter Bryant, uh, let's see, he was born in 1923, died 2006. 
He was originally an actor on a 1950s soap called The Grove Family. Then he'd uh, move into becoming a radio announcer, then a radio script editor. Then he'd essentially become the head of the BBC's radio drama script unit. In 1967, he decided to transfer to television. And so, you know, he's already done production work just on radio. So they decided, eh, let's give him, you know, some work to do on this show since we have a couple of people who are looking at leaving. And they gave him at this point the role of story associate as Jerry Davis's assistant. Really, he'd end up doing some work for both of them. And he actually spent one week during this story in the producer's role when Lloyd went on a vacation. Also during this story, the show is given a new studio home as the BBC higher-ups decided its current home of Riverside Studios was better suited to something else. I believe that something else was, of course, (laughs) Z-Cars. And so, after episode three, the show was moved to its bright, shiny new home of Lime Grove Studio D, which may or may not have still reeked of monkey urine from the show's first stint there. So wait, (laughs) this was a major downgrade then. Yep. And this is where it would stay for most of the next two seasons. Oh Oh my gosh. So back to the urine-soaked hellhole of Lime Grove. Does this like reflect waning confidence the BBC had in the show or something? It's possible. It's definitely down from its heyday a season or two ago. So just for the record... Maybe we would need to have, like, uh, April Fool's Z-Cars <laughs> viewing episode. Because I really don't know what Z-Cars is, is supposed to be. Yeah, all I know, it's some kind of cop show. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that at some point, Brian Blessed was on it, amongst other people, I'm sure. Mrs. Chance. Yep. Uh, they immediately started having issues with the studio, of course. Some of the props were too big, especially for the next story. After episode four was filmed, they found that some headphone chatter ended up getting recorded. This was the same exact issue that led to their having to reshoot episode one of the Daleks way back in season one. Oh, I vaguely remember this, yeah. The difference here is that they ca- they don't have the option to record again because there's only one week till airing. Oh, no. Basically, the only option they had was to do their best to edit the chatter out as much as possible. But there's I didn't notice it, but there's apparently some parts of episode four where you could hear the studio chatter. <laughs> uh, some important people we have. Our director was a guy named Morris Barry who lived from 1918 to 2000. Whoa. That's no joke. 82 years old when he died. Uh, He would direct three stories and act in one of them. He was also distantly related to Doctor Who director Christopher Barry, who we saw, I think he directed the first, the good episodes of the Daleks, along with some others. Nepotism, baby. (laughs) Um, Morris had a habit of carrying a music stand to hold his scripts during rehearsals, so he was standing there like a conductor. (sighs) That tracks. Our music is the same stock music that they use for the 10th planet, so no specific music designed for this one. Our cast members, one of the Cybermen is played by an actor named John Levine, 
who would have a regular role in the 1970s. So he's somebody who'll become important several years down the road. There's also a random background scientist named Jules, who is played by a man named Victor Pemberton. Pemberton would soon have a behind-the-scenes role on the show, working in the other open slot as the other test subject for a possible replacement for one of our current uh, producer-slash-script editor. And Pemberton is one of five people to both write for and act in Doctor Who. His dates are 1931 to 2017. Oh, wow. So real recently. Yeah. Early in his career, he did some acting before deciding to focus on writing. And he wrote some novels and scripts and was eventually brought in as an assistant script editor, though that won't be until a bit later this season. I think it's really interesting that we have people now coming up in the show who will later have more important roles. Because there's at least like three or four folks that you've mentioned now involved in this production that will later be even more important. Yep, gone from, you know, some random background scientist whose name is only on page of a script to assistant script editor. We'll maybe meet the old man of the moon. So let us start talking about episode one. The Doctor manages to get the TARDIS under control pretty quickly after it started spinning out at the end of last story. I seem to recall that uh, they had some kind of a dispute about the TARDIS not being under his control. Oh, yes, it is. I'll show you. I'll show you. Random spin out. Polly optimistically comments, hey, we've landed on Mars. But Ben says that he's seen pictures of the moon and that's it. And he mocks the doctor a bit. Yeah, science advisor Ben is uh, <laughs> seems to know everything in this episode. And, you know, he, he could identify the moon just like that. And I snapped my fingers there, which you probably can't hear, because for some reason I can never make noises like that when we're recording. <laughs> yes, hey. thank you. Oh, no, that was not you. Nope. I was about to be really proud. Yes. Ben and Polly start to head out and look around per usual. But the doctor reminds them, hey, guys, this is the moon. You need spacesuits. There's no atmosphere out there, unlike every other place they've ever been ever. Huh. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. (laughs) They usually just, hey, let's wander out onto this planet we know absolutely nothing about. And hey, we're not dead. I was thinking about it, too, because doesn't uh, Jamie say something about, you know, wanting to meet the man in the moon or something like that? He didn't have any really real lines written for him. So they were basically just like, hey, every couple pages, could you even throw in something just unbelievably stupid? I figure that line originally came from Ben. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, like, he's he's from, like, hundreds of years ago. So I kind of like that his understanding of what's going on is kind of quaint. And boy, is it quaint sometimes. Well, I mean, of course he wouldn't realize he needs, like, a special suit to go out on the moon. Yeah. So they exit the TARDIS in their funny-looking spacesuits with weird sunglasses. Actually, you know, I wanted to call that out, as a matter of fact, because, like, you know, the uh, the visors of the Apollo astronauts were were shielded. Uh, yeah. And, you know, because, like, it, it could be pretty bright up there, and there's no atmosphere absorbing, you mm-hmm. know, some of the extended spectra. So I thought that was actually kind of cool, right? Like, you would, you would need them, especially at, like, low angles that could 
conceivably blind you. So I was like, one oh, okay. one point for Kip Petler. Yeah, I know, right? I do find it amusing that instead of just making the whole thing shielded, the eye doctor came up with, "Hey, let's put sunglasses on them." Right, and then they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd be uh, walking around with huge like sunburns on their face. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little Willy Wonka-ish. It's cool. It works. It does work. And Polly starts jumping to an amazing boing sound. Woo? Yeah, that was that was a little much. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know. no, that's fun. <laughs> and the other companions do so as well, as the doctor warns them, don't tear your suits, you'll die. <laughs> Which, I mean, very practical advice. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, the absolute genius, somehow knocks himself out right outside of a nearby moon base, and people immediately come out and take him in. The TARDIS crew make their way there, somehow figure out how to get in, because what we learn is a highly important moon base that's responsible for all of Earth's weather has zero security measures. It's also manned by, like, a small handful of dudes. Yep. There's a lot of problems with this base. Well, I mean, it, it is on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but... At the same time, I was thinking about what you were saying with the, the space race well underway. Yeah. Yeah. No Russians on that crew, you'll notice. I, I was I was thinking about that, and I was also noticing how international a group it is. We have, I believe, don't we have an Australian? We've got who I think is a Swede or some A Swiss Nordic. person, I believe, is who that was supposed to be with the cross- they, uh, oh, see, yeah. it looked more like Sweden or Denmark to me, but I couldn't tell exactly which. The accent was German, so I was like, "Who could? What flag could that possibly be?" Because I watched it, you know, in several different formats, mm. of course, and none of them colored it yeah. like any normal flag. So, but we've we've got like a pretty diverse. I, I mean, like they're also. I'm not just talking about like countries and stuff. We have like a kind of a racially diverse cast too, which I appreciated. Yep. The the script notes oh, yeah. that Ralph, the black man on the crew, is from some country in Africa. I can't remember off the top of my head which. I oh, wanted to I say it was Nigeria. And then we also have um our Frenchman, of course. And yeah, I mean, just uh, like the Tenth Planet, he gives us a bunch of um, national stereotypes. Um, I would like to point out, though, that um, so yeah, I watched this episode in both animated, classical, and then for the last one, just for you know giggles, I I watched like the colorized version. Okay. And <laughs> it, what I thought was really funny is that like the first one that I managed to get a hold of had French subtitles, <laughs> and there's this one oh, scene yeah. where the French guy yells at them in French, and the, the subtitles just disappeared. And I thought that was very <laughs> funny. <laughs> nice. It's like, well, of course they'll know, right? <laughs> so yeah, uh, inside the moon base, they meet Hobson, the guy who's in charge, who at this point anyway is surprisingly chill that these weird people just happen to wander on in here. In the base's control room, a moon base guy collapses as black veins spread across his face. Ew. We learn that a number of people on the base have caught this black vein virus, oh, including God. their doctor, Evans. Yeah. They're expecting a relief doctor from Earth on the next shuttle, but that's not going to be for a bit. So who are you, people? Hobson explains that on the space, they control the weather on Earth using the Gravitron to control gravity. 
Turns out the doctor is familiar with this device and he's able to pinpoint where we are to about 20 years since he guesses 2050 and we're actually in 2070. And yeah, we meet our um, crew, Frenchie McFrenchman, Benoit. Benoit, by the way, is wearing that cravat because they put the wrong first initial on his name tag. And uh-huh. that, that <laughs> was the solution they came up with to cover it up. <laughs> hey, wear this stupid cravat with your t-shirt. What's happening up there? The hurricane you were guiding is now 45 degrees off course. It's threatening Hawaii. So we move on to what I call a key scene due to the sheer stupidity of it. We have another guy who passes out and Earth contacts them, annoyed because the hurricane that guy was guiding is headed straight toward Hawaii. Hobson tells them about the virus issue, but Earth doesn't really seem to care. Apparently, they're fine with understaffing this very important moon base that, once again, controls all of the planet's weather. And Earth just tells them, well, you know, go under quarantine, which, let's face it, pretty easy because they're alone on the moon, and says, we'll get help to you in about a month. Good luck. Bye-bye, guys. Can we talk for just a second about the controller, the great unseen character who <laughs> was like the just incredible, like very, like the incredible, like complete disinterest of like a received pronunciation. <laughs> this is, this is like Rimberg, Ringberg. The, yeah, the, the, the main, the one you never see, like he's always just that really, really posh British voice on the radio is like, we're like, I just don't give a shit about your your <laughs> sickness. You just need to get those Cybermen out of there. You know, it's just like, <laughs> this is crazy. I did, I did find to be kind of a relief that everyone on the moon base was like generally sympathetic. Really, if there's any human characters who are like in any way antagonistic, it's like Rimberg and the the folks from Earth. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> they suck. Yeah. No, they're like we don't care about what's going on up there. Stop our hurricanes. Despite like their complete dependence on them. Yeah. Did you know that it's just raining in Miami? Unacceptable. Stop yeah. being sick. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the guys mentioned that there's someone near the moon base on the moon which, once again, is empty of anybody except for the people on this moon base. There's somebody on the moon who is monitoring their transmissions, but the very security-minded Hobson says, never mind about that, his only concern is this virus. Yeah, what's up with that? That's, like, really creepy. (laughs) Hey, you know, there's somebody out there on the moon. You know, we're supposed to be the only people on the moon. It's not exactly like it's easy to get to the moon, I mean, you know, clearly they've got, they need to take a rocket, right? And so. Well, or just show up at the door. Yeah, I mean, these four idiots managed to get here. Who knows who else is wandering about there on a holiday? I don't know. I think, like, after all of this ridiculousness, it's pretty clear, like, they need some union. They need, like, a moonion. Yes. Oh, my God. The doctor volunteers to help with the virus, and he heads off to sick bay, where there's a passed out Jamie who is mumbling something about a phantom piper. 
The doctor's sure that something weird is going on here at the base. This doesn't seem like a disease to him, dot dot dot, something else. He decides to send Ben to the control room to keep an eye on things there, but Hobson doesn't want to deal with him either, so he just puts Ben in a storage closet. There's a guy named Ralph who's already working down there in the closet, and we see a brief Cyberman shadow on the wall that tells us there's something skulking around down there. Oh, see, I thought this was like their kitchen or pantry or something. Yeah, I think it's it's a pantry, basically. It's where they have their food stores. Yeah, I mean, they were, yeah, they were just basically sorting food, which, you know, I respect, right? Like, he's like, I don't know who this guy is, and I certainly don't trust him in my gravity control room. I'm just going to go send him to go... I don't know. Deal with soup. our food. <laughs> go, go rearrange the tang. And to his credit, Ben is like, sure, yeah, you know, I'll, no, I'm glad to. Yeah, yeah, go take care of the stuff that's keeping us alive here. <laughs> Again, security conscious. Yep. Ralph is initially concerned, but then Ben walks in, and Ralph figures that that weird shadow with the bizarre headgear is just this guy who isn't even wearing a hat. So I think we watched. Wasn't this one an animation that we watched, Shawnee? I began to suspect. I don't know if the original had like a shadow that was quite that distinct, but (laughs) this is where I started to get excited. (laughs) Yeah, I I honestly don't know if the same use of shadows that they had here, if they attempted that in the episode, because in the animation, the use of shadows was, of cyber shadows was great. Yeah. I have no idea how it was in the actual filmed episodes because that was mostly in episodes one and three. So who knows? But, but yeah. it's definitely, yeah, it was definitely like, a, well, either that man has a Fisher Price boombox for a head or <laughs> he's got Cybermen, you know? Yep. But yeah, this was when Bay said, oh my God, Cybermen. Well, the Cybermen are cool, and I don't really think that we didn't quite get to do the kind of story I would have liked to have seen with them. A romance? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A romantic comedy with Cybermen. Fly me to the moon. I don't know what you'd call it. It was just one date. (laughs) (laughs) It's me, not you. (laughs) So Ralph finds that some of the bags of food have holes in them for some reason. But instead of telling anyone, he just sends Ben to gather some materials. Ben leaves, Ralph gets electro-handed by a Cyberman, and his body is dragged away. So, possible ding? Yeah, we don't really see, we don't really see a uh, chubby Cyberman from then on out, so... No. Well, I, I thought this was pretty cool, because, like, didn't they use, like, ray guns or something in the previous... Yeah. And this time the electricity is shooting out of their hands. So basically they're using the force. Well, the ray guns are for killing and the hands are for stunning for retrieval. Yes. And they, I do recall they, they mentioned them a couple of times. They're cyber guns. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is cyber in the future. Back in sickbay, the lights start going off. And the doctor explains to Polly that the base inhabitants have to create artificial day and night in order to not throw off their stupid meat bodies. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's some things that make sense when you think, hey, 
somebody who has an idea about, you know, the human body is writing this. He has no idea about anything else. That's that's the thing that kind of bothers me. Like, Kip Hedler will make sure something like that is on point. But when it comes to the fact that all the Cybermen are supposed to be dead, <laughs> we're not going to address that. So suddenly, Dr. Evans screams out, and mumbles about a silver hand before apparently dinging. The doctor wonders what he meant by that, and he goes to tell Hobson. However, when he shows up to the control room, Ben has gotten there first, and he's busily reporting that Ralph has vanished. Hobson says we don't have enough data to report this to Earth yet, and he's apparently worried that if he does... And get this, Earth will shut down the moon base that is solely responsible for controlling its weather. I repeat, Earth will shut down the moon base that controls all the weather on the planet if they report, hey, stuff is going bad up here. Well, I think we learned from that last conversation, Earth distinctly will not do that. Yes, no, not at all. (laughs) I don't know. We don't have a moon base controlling the weather now, and we're doing okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's not actually true after last week's, like, polar vortex or whatever the the heck we're calling it. Yeah, maybe we do need a moon base. Can we get it sooner than 2070? Well, you know, they seem to have had it up by 2050. It's so, you know. Whole gravi- it's that whole graviton thing that I think is going to be a little trickier. Mm. Getting to the moon is not so bad. It's that whole controlling the weather. Come on, scientists. Do science and make a Gravitron. (coughs) Polly is in the sick bay is tending to Jamie when something comes in. Polly notices it just as it's leaving and screams. Get a couple good ones from her this one. Everyone comes rushing in, looks around, but they find nothing. Hobson decides that it was probably just her womanly nerves and goes to look at Evan's body. But gasp! The body is gone! Hobson asks the doctor if this is some kind of joke and tells him he'd better find that body or off you go! Meanwhile, another man collapses in the control room. Didn't we make some reference to Susan with that scream? Like, it was really quite a scream. It was a good one. Yeah, she's really nailing it. She got her Susan on, definitely. Uh, The doctor leaves to take a look around, and Jamie starts mumbling for water. When Polly goes to get him some, Jamie looks up and sees a Cyberman. He calls it the Phantom Piper and collapses. Okay, but it's pretty hilarious how he just kind of like pops up from behind the cot. (laughs) Hello! Yeah, and Jamie sort of pops up. And as we see in our next episode, extremely sweaty for the Thirsty Moms of England Club. (laughs) (laughs) And we move on to episode two, Now in Motion. We can't go yet. Well, why not? They don't want us here. Because there is something evil here, and we must stay. Evil? Don't be daft. Evil is what I meant. There are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things. Things which act against everything that we believe in. They must be fought. Jamie refuses to go with the Phantom Piper, who is apparently some sort of, you know, death figure in his culture. 
But the Cyberman just ignores him and carries away one of the other sick men, like a sack of potatoes. Polly comes back in, sees the Cyberman, and screams again. When everyone rushes in, Polly says that she saw a Cyberman. And I have this as a key scene as well. Because, you know, it gives us some sort of, it gives us a little bit of information anyway. Yeah, we, I mean, at least they remember the Cybermen. Yeah. Yeah, don't, now, don't they say they haven't been seen since that incident? Yep. So they haven't seen the Cybermen in over 70 years. Hobson sends two guys off to find the missing men and he questions Polly. Polly says she saw an enormous silver man carrying a patient like a doll and she's sure it was a Cyberman. Hobson tells her to stop saying Cybermen. They were all destroyed. Just stop talking about them. (laughs) He says there's no evidence of Cybermen, but there is a new disease spreading. People are vanishing, and this is all happening right when you weirdos show up. So get off my moon. And the doctor here has a pretty important line that is sort of, you know, Doctor Who mission statement. There's something evil here, and we must stay. There are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things. They must be fought. Yeah, that was a good line. And yeah, this (laughs) is sort of the new mission statement of Doctor Who, more so than, hey, let's get back to the TARDIS and get out of this crazy (laughs) situation we've gotten ourselves into. I don't know who you are, what you are, or where you came from. But you can get off the moon now. And the doctor explains to Hobson that he doesn't think this is a disease, but that he can find the cause and that he can cure it. Hobson says, fine, I will give you one day. After that, you've either solved this or you get off my moon. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of getting getting off of his moons. <laughs> get off my moon. A lot, a lot of ultimatums from Hobson. It was really a shock to me in like episode four where they all get forcibly pushed out the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> Quadruple ding. Show's uh, over. Katarina too. Yeah. <laughs> they all float off into space and meet up with Katarina as the show fades to black. When they're left alone, Polly asks the doctor, Hey, doctor. Are you actually a medical doctor? Unlike the last few times he's been asked this question, the doctor says, you know, I think I was once. (laughs) He notes that he took a degree in Glasgow back in 1888 with Joseph Lister, and then he proceeds to do science. So some notes about this. Lister was the founder of the Royal Microscopical Society, an organization that Kit Peddler happened to be the honorary secretary of. (laughs) Awesome. Oh my gosh. Also, as a note, historically, Lister had left Glasgow by 1888. In fact, he'd left Scotland altogether and was settled in London. So once again, something that Kit Peddler doesn't know anything about the history of the organization that he is the honorary secretary of. Another interesting historical <laughs> fact, uh, that is where the Lister in Listerine comes from. Yep. Huh. Very important man when it comes to antiseptic technology. I like to think that the doctor actually created Listerine. <laughs> Doctorine. <laughs> <laughs> 
That would be the most Doctor Who thing in the world to do. It's like, well, he tried to call it Doctorine, but I convinced him to take credit. Yes. Meanwhile, the Gravitron is going a bit wonky and messing up the weather on Earth. In an unprecedented turn of events, a hurricane is threatening Florida. (laughs) Benoit wants to shut the machine down in order to fix the problem. But Earth says, no, you can't do that under any circumstances. Just get it under control and do it fast. So the machine is important enough that it can't be shut down to fix it. But we're also going to have a skeleton crew on your moon base. Et là, qu'est-ce que vous fabriquez, imbécile, idiot Vous n'avez rien d'autre à faire Vous croyez que nous sommes en train de nous amuser Oh, come on, get out of the way As the moon base staff is doing science to get things fixed, the doctor randomly shows up and starts taking samples from Benoit, causing him to angrily French at him. The scene that uh, Andy was referring to earlier. It was like a little awkward, though. I mean, yes. he's like sneaking around. Stealing shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bessing with people's shoelaces. Like, no, literally stealing shoes. I want, yes. I want anybody listening to understand that. He takes a shoe off of a man's foot while he's working, <laughs> and that man does not notice. Yep. <laughs> Maybe these aren't the people that we want to be in charge of, you know, global weather. Well, he probably spent too much time in the room without his, like, sonic sponge helmet on or whatever it was they needed. (laughs) Look, they've been on this moon base working, like, 20 straight, 24-hour days. (laughs) There's not enough crew for anything else. So people begin to wonder... Hey, weirdo, what are you doing? And the doctor explains that he too needs to do science. In sickbay, a Cyberman shows up and electrocutes Polly and Jamie. Then he messes with us a bit by heavily teasing that he's going to take Jamie, but he just takes another guy instead. We learn that the Cybermen are apparently living in the walls like rats when one emerges from a hole behind some piled-up sacks in the food closet. See, I thought they were just coming and going. See, I thought they were just masquerading as bodies in the sickbay the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a couple of things. Yeah, they are coming and going. They've got, we learn later that they have a tunnel from their ship under the moon, under the moon base, which I guess doesn't have a solid floor. They tunneled up and just come in through the walls. Again, like rats. Back in the control room, one of the scientists pinpoints a fault with the Gravitron's antenna and finds that it occurred right around the time those weirdos showed up. Hobson sends two guys outside to check on the antenna and goes to tell the doctor once again to get off his moon. Oh, Polly, I only wish I had... Why not make some coffee to keep them all happy while I think of something? All right. And here we get a key scene. The doctor is working on trying to find a solution, but he tells Polly everything he's tested is negative. Everything on the space is sterile. Polly looks at him and asks, maybe that's the fact that your medical training is from 1888 that's the problem she was i mean she was so good (laughs) at this just like every woman in science has had to make this kind of delivery before i feel like it's like what if and just you know what if maybe other stuff was like discovered after (laughs) mr 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, what do I know, right? I'm just Polly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe your knowledge is just a little tiny bit out of we date, just, doctor. You know, maybe, right? Yeah. yeah. Hobson shows up saying it must be you people. The doctor fakes having found something to get Hobson off his back. And he shoes everybody out of the room, saying, I just found something important. You're going to mess up my discovery. Everybody out. So that's actually a pretty good scene. I enjoyed yeah. that very much. He's, you know, because <laughs> basically he's like, look, I've got no, I've, I have no, I have no fucking I got nothing, but here and we then, go. <laughs> you know, oh, sh- oh, they're here. Okay. Uh, pretend to be busy and get yeah. me some shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and he later admits to Polly. Yeah, it was all a ruse. Uh, Polly. Can you go make some coffee for everyone to keep them distracted while I think of something? Wasn't this her role in the 10th planet, too? It was. It's been her role several times. And this specific scene is often pointed to out of context as an example of sexism in 60s Doctor Who. Which is like they got a much better example of it slightly later. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Or even the last, even the last serial. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when Polly is just screaming her head off and freaking out. Elizabeth Sandifer points out that this is a strategic action on the doctor's part. He uses it as a distraction to give the doctor more time. It directly leads to figuring out how the virus is spreading. Yeah. It's Polly who figures out how to stop the Cybermen, even if it is with nail polish remover. That coffee tray ultimately saves the day. Wait till we get to that. And Sandifer concludes that far from being sexist, it leads to some of the best moments that female companions of the 60s get. That might be damning with faint praise. Yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of depressing. But still, it is not the epitome of sexism like it often is pointed out to be. Because, you know, Polly plays an important role in this serial. And if we're being <laughs> if we're being absolutely fair, like there were two people and one of the jobs of those two people was finding out what a mysterious space virus was. And yep. the other one was distracting people. I mean, you know, yeah, it's OK. It, yeah. I mean, there's far there's a far, there's a far greater offense with the uh, this is men's work line. Yeah, <laughs> that comes later. Yeah, that one uh, that that one should be pointed to but isn't as much. (laughs) Out on the surface, we see some Cybermen pummel the two guys who went to fix the antenna. Yeah, they really pummel them, too. Like, I... (laughs) There's a couple of times... Like, I mean, like, the the Cybermen, later in the episode, you know, they're just kind of ineffectively wailing against the antenna or something like that outside. But no, they're, they're, they're like double hand smashing these men to death on the surface of the moon, I have to say. I, there was like a few things that I liked and one of them I thought was kind of cool was when those two guys are getting ready to go outside, right? Like they're, they've got their suits on and they're entering the airlock and you can hear all these like incidental kind of whirring and whooshing sounds. And the moment the airlock closes and the outer door opens, it's silent, but for the music. And I was like, I hope that if that was deliberate, that's actually pretty good, right? Because it's just nothing. Yeah. Okay, but... I- as long as we're talking about the suits, because the one thing that I wanted to bring up about the suits, and I feel like they, they did this both in the animation and 
Actually, the animation kind of like cleans it up a little. Yeah. Those are basically like giant, like two liter bottles or something, just like duct taped to their. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Oh, yeah, that's true. I remember that's one of the things I do remember because they were like, it's very clear from the way that they move that they weigh like nothing. Yeah. Right, like they're, they didn't even fill them with water and spray paint them silver or whatever to make them look like they're, they they flop around instantly, and it, it does it it does catch the eye. Yeah, I mean, I like that they have oxygen tanks. It's very cool. Well, um, I mean, but but it but it but it is pretty cheap looking. <laughs> it is. I do remember that. Yeah. Well, look, making a show is expensive. Okay, you gotta, you gotta use spend what's it on hand. like. Space helmet head bra. Well, yeah, which was awesome actually. But like you know, all they had to do was fill it with water or something, make it look a little heavier. But no, uh, just like whatever. What's that you drinking there? Soda. Cool. Slap it on him. Let's get this done. <laughs> so yeah, after these Cybermen are done pummeling these guys like they owe their boss money, uh, they take the suits off of them, and uh, yeah, I guess those guys are dinged. And the Cybermen carry away their corpses. Once everyone's been properly caffeinated, the doctor admits to Hobson that he's found nothing. (laughs) You know, once these guys have... It's kind of that Snickers moment. You just give him coffee and Hobson settles down. Hobson sends Benoit to check on the two guys outside. And we get our first of several cuts to their empty suits just chilling on the surface of the moon. (laughs) <laughs> Which I, I liked those. That's Anytime creepy. they mention those guys out there, they just cut to the empty seats yeah, yeah. on the moon. <laughs> Wonder how they're doing. Yeah. Suits. <laughs> that that little bit is great. The exterior music, I have to say, um, which I guess, yes, like you said, they were used from the tenth planet. So like I of course, like my I have the memory of a goldfish, so I completely forgot about that. And I was just like it kept making it. It did. It did have this kind of like ominous feel to it that made me honestly. It made me think of like uh, Alien, right? And this the, the 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 scenes where they're like wandering around the surface of the planet. Yeah. But like then they keep using it. Like there's no. They didn't even like try to get any like stock triumphant music like at the end of the episode. So I'm just like, like I'm just waiting for more You're shit still to nervous. happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they're just like, all right, well, that was fun. Bye. And then okay. And then I kept thinking, like, oh, we'll get to it. But, like, it's it's good. It's good. It's just the only thing they use, which is they're, they're beginning to learn how to use music. It's just that when they go with the stock music, they really go with the stock music. We've also gotten the information, by the way, about the five-second pressure drops, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I believe at this point we have. Which I've completely forgotten about. No, I thought that was like really creepy, actually. That yeah. would be like a, a huge red flag. Right, because it's like hermetically sealed. I, it is kind of cool, right? It's just kind of like, it's like the, the motion detectors or aliens or something like briefly going off. It's like something is very wrong. Yeah, it's one of several things that indicate, hey, something's going on here. You're living in Red Flag City. But no, they want to focus on other things for the moment. I mean, of course, the other thing is a bizarre black vein virus, so I kind of get it. But oh, God, stop saying it. <laughs> Don't think that's It's the sugar. So um, back in the control room, a guy groans in pain and collapses as the veins spread on his hand. And he's rushed to the medical unit. And this time we actually get to see the vein effect. 
And hey, it was actually pretty cool. Uh, the doctor comes to a sudden realization and knocks the cup from Hobson's hand, taking away his caffeine, which automatically is a get-off-my-moon. Yeah. The doctor explains, no, Hobson, it's in the sugar. That's why it's only been affecting some people. How? how okay. <laughs> how? I mean, was anybody else lost by that? Like, was yeah. there any build up to that at all or no, was it not okay. really i mean i just like did he look down and see veins in the sugar like that's what i wanted like nope but no he just knew he's the doctor he leaps to logical conclusions i guess i like it being in the sugar i don't quite know how he in the water i don't know maybe that's you know just me yeah it makes more sense because everybody's going to use the water. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I, he's got a sad face now. I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to crap on. on I was no, no, on. no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought it was. I thought it was an interest. You need something like that if it's not affecting everybody. Right. The Cybermen yeah. should be more logical than that, but uh, I don't know. They don't always act the way I they're just, supposed to. There weren't to. even any hits. Like I, they weren't even like, "Oh, Williams passed out. It must have been all that candy he's always eating." <laughs> oh, wait, no, black <laughs> veins. You know, no. There was, nothing, there was not even a little hint. It was just like all of a sudden they just knew. I did. I do seem to remember like a brief pause on the sugar. Maybe like there was something I missed. I don't know, but it just—it certainly was abrupt. Yeah. But yeah, he takes a look at the sugar in the microscope and sees a neurotropic virus in there. So, hey, doctor, I guess you were wrong all along because it is a virus. Yeah. And also, um, you know, that's certainly a very modern thing to know. (laughs) Honest to God, don't think too hard about it because this virus makes no effing sense. (laughs) It really doesn't. Later on, we've figured out that they don't even need sugar or head units for some of this well, stuff. Well, aren't, aren't nootropics, aren't those those things that are supposed to make you smarter? <laughs> I don't know. What am I, what do I, what do I know? If you were smarter, you'd, you know, side with the Cybermen. Yeah. That's apparently that, yeah. And that's what happens. You hit the nail on the head. Speaking of the head, what is that thing? Was that explained? Because I did kind of <laughs> miss it. So there's like a tiara, right? Are we going to get to that? Yeah. All right. Yeah. If we're going to get to that, I will, you know, we'll talk about that. But Moon there was a tiara, power. I want to know what that was because I didn't understand that at all. Oh, was that the stuff that the Cybermen were putting on their heads? Yes. Yeah. Yes. He had a tiara. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Was the that, mind the, control is that bridge that was? link. Yeah, it was their okay. mind control link. Okay. Because I, I guess I only ever saw it in person on that one guy and it was very prominently on that guy. But, uh, but what I mean to animated. say is, like, sometimes they needed that and sometimes they didn't. There were some some parts of the plan that didn't quite add up to me. And it, it didn't start with the sugar. Yeah. You know, like, the sugar is, like, the sugar itself is, like, okay, fine. Uh, we need an entry point. Okay, great. But we've got, like, the Sailor Moon tiaras. We've got, apparently, you don't need some of that stuff to make the link. Yeah. We will yeah. see that later. That there's a point where they start linking to these guys when they're like linked to them to get them to put on the control helmets or tiaras. You you shouldn't be able to do that unless yeah. it's like some enhancement. But you know, kid peddler, what are you gonna do? Hey, yeah, kid peddler, what are you gonna? Yeah, <laughs> you've been peddled. <laughs> you got peddled, bro. I just keep thinking of like Pokemon where they like can only say their name. It's like, get peddler. 
<laughs> peddler, peddler. I am science. I'm a science advisor. Are you kidding me? So the doctor says that it has to be the Cybermen. They're deliberately infecting the uh, the base. Hobson says, yeah, but we've checked every nook and cranny, and we find no signs of Cybermen. The doctor then asks quietly, did you guys search in here? They look around the sick bay and see a body with giant silver boots that somehow nobody has noticed up to this point. And a Cyberman hops up, almost knocking over the bed and everything around it in the process. This yeah. is what I was thinking of, where he's just like, boogity 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 boo. <laughs> yeah. you know? I especially like it because you know how they... Sh- <laughs> you know how they shoot like a little bit of that like there's an overlap right between the episodes still and like it's different it's subtly different right they shoot it again and the first one like the one that it fades out on like he gets up and he just kind of stands there and he fucks with his suit a little bit and he's like did you get it did you get the take and then it's like <laughs> and it's <laughs> the second one it's much more convincing and menacing but he just kind of stands up he's like all right that's that's all the stage direction i got i'm just gonna fidget <laughs> I really liked that a lot. It's the little things. Yeah. You are known to us. Even you to me. Silence. And we move on to episode three. And so a note specifically for Bay. There was a scene cut from this episode that established that these Cybermen left Mondas before its destruction and settled on the planet Telos. You're not just making me feel better. There you go, honey. There's your continuity. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we will actually see the planet Telos in a future episode. Oh, good. Is that like the third Earth that's like just yeah. slightly <laughs> offset from... <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it's this, No, it's the second Mars. It's the second Mars. I'm predicting it now. I'm calling it Cthump. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. With all of the other filler in some of these episodes, you think that they could pop it in there, but whatever. The scene did show back up in the novel, so there's that at least. Yeah, we should read the novel. Let's go get it. <laughs> so our Cyberman just dings a dude, and it speaks in its new robo voice. The Cyberman also notes, hey, doctor, we recognize you despite the fact you have completely changed your body. What? <laughs> so don't I, know I how that, that was kind of cool though it sure was kind of cool <laughs> so maybe that indicates you know some other adventures with the cybermen in the last 70 or so years right but yeah he then promises hobson hey the guys we took they will return don't worry though they are now under the cybermen's control there's some talk of conversions a word that Ben most assuredly does not like. Although they aren't quite the cyber conversions we'll see later on. On the Cyberman ship, we see a veiny guy in a weird tiara who is obeying cyber orders. At some point, we learn that the Cybermen are using sonic control to control the people that they are sending out from their ship through the vacuum of space. Shh, honey, shh. Okay. <laughs> You've been so, peddlers. Okay. <laughs> what was he? he was an op- optometrist or something? Yeah. <laughs> Peddlered. <laughs> Certainly not an audiologist. Nope. How did you get in? 
Back in the control room, Benoit still can't contact the surface party. Cut back to their empty suits and a cyber shadow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Cybermen enter the control room and explain their evil plan. They are going to use the Gravitron to control the weather and kill everyone on Earth in order to eliminate all dangers to them. When Benoit asks, have you no mercy? The Cyberman just says, it is unnecessary. Nice. Setting up that setting up that cyber mythos. It is, however, apparently very necessary to insult the human's stupid earth brains <laughs> yeah. and explain that they access uh, explain exactly how they access the base. They're so sassy. They want the humans to know exactly how stupid they are. Stupid humans. <laughs> you have to eat. <laughs> Some cyber-controlled people come waddling in, and they're sent into the power unit. Benoit says, hey, you can't send them in there without helmets. I say that with giant quotation marks because we later see these helmets. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> the foam, foam egg helmets. Yeah, they're, uh, they're wonderful. He, he explains that without those helmets, they'll be insane in 12 hours. Space and the Cybermen are just like, that's fine. Uh, we'll be done by then. And they will be disposed of because our plan is, once again, you idiot, kill all humans. <laughs> Stupid Frenchman. But not you, Polly. This is men's work. And we get to a key scene. Back in the sick bay, Jamie's finally rejoining the story. He talks some nonsense about sprinkling witches with holy water, and this leads Polly to a plan. Hey, nail varnish melts plastic, and so should melt the plastic units on the Cyberman's chest. I actually, as stupid as all of this is, it's pretty metal. The, like, this is a cool plan. I really like it. I like how, how they, they work it all out. The big stumbling block I have is their, like, suicide drank that they create. <laughs> yes. It's, like, looks pretty darn like it's in a plastic container spray bottle. <laughs> yeah. So this is what happens. Polly asks, after coming up with this plan, Hey, Ben, what is nail varnish remover anyway? Mostly acetone. Yep. And so they test it out. Drop some plastic and acetone, and hey, it melts. Ben asks, but what if acetone doesn't melt their kind of plastic? So Polly comes up with the plan, let's mix every solvent. Yeah. And so they blow up sick bay and die. <laughs> <laughs> You've been peddlered. <laughs> nope, they just mix up the solution. Once the they're dip. done. Yeah, the dip. Yeah. Very much so. Oh my god. Please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, now I'm thinking of that poor shoe. Yeah, all of Toontown will bend to your will. <laughs> I still have nightmares about the shoe. <laughs> so, yeah, they put their dip into what I can only assume are plastic spray bottles because we've been peddled. 
And then Ben says that Polly can't come with them because actually using this mixture that Polly Which came, she up, came with, up with, right? That's men's work. <laughs> Thankfully, Polly just gives him the finger and refuses to listen and follows anyway. But Polly, it's men's work. Yeah. Polly's idea. Yet the other bit is the sexist scene. Meanwhile, in the control room, we get another we get another weird moment of the doctor's inner monologue like we had last scene, last um, story. So that's twice in a row. It was weird. Yeah. As he wonders, why are they using the men as tools? What is it about this base the Cybermen don't like? Is it the gravity? Okay. So their yeah. weakness is gravity? That was so dumb. Sorry. I'm sorry. That was dumb. <laughs> it was radiation before. And they even mention that. And that just doesn't. It's never explained, really, nope. right? Like I must that, have missed this bit because oh, I yeah, didn't no, remember he's like them being the floor. afraid. And it was a very like Dune, David Lynch's Dune. Like, what could they possibly want? <laughs> what what the, the dreamer has awoken? You know, it's just I don't. It just it, it didn't make any sense, and it's just never. It it doesn't do anything. So yeah, it was odd and very at odds with the show. And of course, the doctor is never afraid because fear is the mind killer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely the little death that brings total liberation. <laughs> As the Cybermen are messing with Earth's weather, Earth tries to call the moon base, but the Cybermen won't let them respond. The Doctor, meanwhile, is crawling around, messing with some dials and jamming their fields. Yeah, he's like a kitty the whole time. Yeah, he's just, he's like just messing with stuff. Sliding glasses off of tables and stuff. I did like, <laughs> I really liked when Earth. <laughs> Just once again, Earth was just like, "Hello, Moonbase, are you there? You better not be dead. <laughs> if you can hear us but can't respond, launch flares. We are waiting on your flares." And it's just <laughs> so bitchy. <laughs> I love that. So our trio, yes, trio of companions come in and start spraying Cybermen chest units, and the Cybermen go absolutely rabid. They're foaming at the mouth and squealing as their chest units melt, and they're turned into melted, smoking cyber husks, and it is awesome. It's really cool, actually. Especially, uh, that was animated, right? I think. Yeah. I do remember, like, at one point... (laughs) Like they animate Polly just being like kind of like ew ew and like like <laughs> squirt like squirting him like a bad cat. It was, it was wonderful. Down, down, and then she sprays hey. the doctor. Hey, <laughs> stop Told messing you not with to get that. Get on the counter again. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, they they were like, and there's a couple of scenes too where they do that, like the animation where like they're like you know, and then like slowly like the like the goo drips like ominously out of their mouths. And I was like, oh, radical. <laughs> this is much better than like holding an isotope out in front of you. Yeah. Oh, it's so metal. Yeah. yeah. And so, exactly like with the 10th planet, partway through, all the Cybermen on the base are killed. But hey, there's a whole shipload of them. And the Cybermen said, Well, those guys are dead. Right. Guess it's our turn. <laughs> it Prepare the weapons. To, yeah, it just cuts the ship. And they're like, Hello. Shit. And then they just. <laughs> there were a lot more of them than I thought there were. Yeah. Right. Like a lot. Perhaps we should have sent more. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Perhaps three is not enough. So back at the base, Benoit heads outside to look for the two missing men and finds their empty suits, finally. And then Cybermen begin approaching him. Benoit looks around, and there's a gun pointed right at him. But the Cyberman's weapon apparently does not function in the vacuum of space, so Peddler thought of something, and Benoit takes off running. We get a bit of chase music on the moon, mixed with more subdued music as Ben is going through the moon base to help him with a solvent bomb. Okay, but this was cool. Uh, metal, metal, very metal. <laughs> I did like this use of music here. It animated greatly. And if you count on the Cybermen scenes, they actually animated exactly 11 Cybermen, the number of suits that they created. Oh, very nice. So Ben lobs the solvent bomb, and he is apparently great at the shot put because it hits the Cybermen directly in the chest unit, and he saves Benoit. I don't know how many more of these Cybermen there are, but... From our point of view, we're under siege. Hobson sums up their new situation, stating, From my point of view, we are now a base, under siege. <laughs> they manage to locate the cyber ship, hiding under a conveniently promenading giant rock nearby. A door opens, Cybermen come pouring out. We see some cyber boots on the moon as they march toward the base. And we move on to episode four. It is kind of cool having a bunch of like unfeeling metal men just like doing a picket's charge across the surface of the moon at you. Yeah, very, very slowly. But there was like, I mean, they do, they open the next episode, which is the one I saw in glorious fake color with like (laughs) pretty much all of them, I think, like standing around a crater, right? Was it like all 11 of them? But it was impressive. It was pretty impressive. Weren't they also making boing sounds as they moved? I could have sworn <laughs> they were. <laughs> boing, boing. We could have done without the boing. We could have. We really could have. Like it was definitely. It made sense in the first scene where everyone is, oh, let's just say, cavorting. Uh, but like after that, like it just it doesn't have the same heft that you would want, you know, for a the the the, the ominous march of a death machine. But you know, <laughs> maybe that's just me. I imagine Kit Peddler specifically wrote in each boing. Yes. <laughs> no, we must have the boings. It is essential. Right. It's, it's hey, canon. Who's, this, who's the science advisor here, motherfucker? You or me, right? Like, just. <laughs> this is the sound the moon makes. Right. <laughs> Can it be brought to bear on the surface of the moon? I see. Uh, well, I But has it ever been tried? No. So the Cybermen contact the moon base, telling them to open up. Resistance is useless. The doctor reassures Hobson, everything's got a weak point. It's just a matter of waiting until it shows up. Or just knowing that we have solvent right here, which we already know. And you know, like your moon base's weak point is the fact that it apparently doesn't have floors. I can't help but wonder how it is that we have like a deadly virus rampaging through the moon base. We'll send a rocket up next month. Turns to, you know what? We can send one up a few hours from now. It's all good. Yeah, well, I mean, the people on the moon base probably dead. We can't let our moon base not have people. Don't this is important. Earth. Yeah, the Earth, Earth controls attitude. It's like, 
dying of a virus? Well, we'll get up there soon enough, I suppose, right? (laughs) (laughs) Dead of a virus? God, we gotta send people up now. Robots? No shit. (laughs) So, yeah, they're sending an Earth rocket up. It's full of, like, minimum wage workers that, you know, like, don't have the the thought to moonionize. Yeah. (laughs) No. So, Polly, who's back on coffee duty, is very optimistic about this. Helps on the way. All we have to do is wait. Meanwhile, the Cybermen send out a control signal. And Dr. Evans gets up in sickbay, grabs his control head unit from next to him, and puts it on. Peddlered. He walks right through the control room without anybody noticing that he's there. The giant black veins on his face. Nobody seems to see this. Wearing a crazy tiara. Right, right. It looks like, yeah, it's like a, it's like. You want to remind me of those freaking jelly shoes that, like, sure. everybody's little sister had in, like, the 90s? <laughs> like, it's it's just the, you know, the a guy wandering through with gigantic black veins and a jelly shoes tiara, and nobody's like, hey, what's that guy doing? Uh, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Walks right in. <laughs> and without anybody just noticing. It, they, they don't. So the Earth rocket is now four minutes away. While Hobson talks about how it has weapons, so there's absolutely nothing to worry about, the ship suddenly starts accelerating away and towards the sun. So basically they're like, well, they're dead. Nothing can save those guys now. The doctor realizes that only the Gravitron could have deflected them off course, and they all turn to see the controlled Evans in the power chamber. With perhaps... The best look, uh, the best, like, shade look I have seen in the, like, he just turns, he, like, he turns around, he's like, yeah, that's right, I'm controlled. And it, 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 it was like, it was the smirk of someone who's just like, it was a smirk of a nerd who just beat another nerd at, like, Magic the Gathering, just, like, played down a really, like, unexpected nerd card or something. <laughs> it was. Well, Yeah. If the if the game of magic sent like a bunch of dudes into the sun, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't believe you accounted for my black lotus. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we, <laughs> Matt, if you're playing with a black lotus, damn dude, you're rich. If you could yes. just you know have a black lotus there on the table, I did. I did kind of like front a little bit there when I was like talking about it being a nerd, but then I immediately know, of course, the most powerful, you know. But uh, I do we, uh, own a time twister, oh, although it's not nice. an original time twister; it's a beta time twister, I believe. I'm but just still a nice. land scrub. <laughs> I really need to sell that time twister for however much money I can get for it. <laughs> you've you've wandered into the magic the gathering cat. Yes. yes. I, if we have, though, for real, though, if we do, if we have, like, I don't know how you call them, little episode, like, images or whatever, that's got to be one of them. Like, <laughs> I will find it. I will extract it from the footage. <laughs> so good. The doctor sends Ben and Jamie to barricade the sick bay and make sure the other controlled men can't get out. And instead of immediately barricading, Ben and Jamie spent some time talking about keeping watch. While, predictably, the door opens. Unpredictably, Ben and Jamie deal with this by picking up a bench and ramming the guy who comes out with it. 
And then they start blocking the door with some chairs. That was some, that was some Randy Macho Man Savage stuff. That was pretty great. <laughs> oh, yeah, brother. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Stop it to a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, Driving him out of the room. He's like, mind boggling. <laughs> Sorry. I watch a lot of pro wrestling. <laughs> Hobson's telling the Cybermen they'll never get inside, despite the fact they can and have easily gotten inside, and they've basically already won. The Cybermen, for some reason, decide that they're going to, you know, deal with this taunting by shooting a giant laser and blowing a hole in the dome. Everyone starts having trouble breathing as the air is sucked out. Okay, but I thought this was pretty cool. It was awesome. It was awesome, but it's also what ultimately leads to their defeat, and the Cybermen had no logical reason to do it. Well, I mean, (laughs) if you eliminate the air in there and everybody suffocates, you can just walk in and take over. I mean, I guess they they still would want somebody to work the controls, and that's not going to work if you only got robot bodies, but... I don't know. I th- I thought uh, the special effects, at least, were pretty neat. I just feel we've been peddled. We we have been peddled. That's a peddling. <laughs> so they first try to patch up this hole with a piece of cloth, but that gets blown out. And then they use the coffee tray. Polly's coffee tray. Polly to the rescue once again. The coffee tray seals up this hole. It stops the air from leaking. And the only person who is knocked out by the lack of air was Dr. Evans. As a result, the uh, the British completely abandoned tea as the national drink. <laughs> and um, they only drink coffee now. I don't know if you know that. Yep. After 2070, just coffee. So this allows the base crew to regain control of the Gravitron. And this has put a big hole in the Cybermen's plan, I guess. But <laughs> Since it worked so well the first time, the Cybermen fire their laser again and everyone takes cover except for the Doctor, who watches as the cyber, la- as the cyber laser just gets deflected off the base. The Gravitron deflected it, which the Doctor apparently figured would happen despite it having hit the base moments ago. But he's b- also relieved that it went shooting off, so who knows? I mean... I just throw my arms up at this point. It makes no sense. We've been peddled again. I mean, this just sets up the coolest ending to this <laughs> episode, though. I mean, like, yes, this part is stupid, but we got all of the air getting sucked out of the base, and that was pretty awesome. And then we get all of the Graviton shenanigans. Yes. And come on, that's pretty awesome. Because here the doctor asks, hey... Can the Gravitron be aimed at the moon? You just have to get rid of the security overrides. Seeing as you don't, like, actually pay attention to any security overrides in anything else on this moon base, you know, why have it for the Gravitron? Yeah. Meanwhile, Benoit finally puts on our power room helmet, and we see that it's an it's an egg foam pussy hat from several years ago. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what we got here. It's that like crossed with like the 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 thing that like everyone covers their dreadlocks with. Like everyone that has dreadlocks is required to have that like that big 
sack dreadlock hat and that's what that's what it was man i wish benoit had like crazy dreads <laughs> that would add another like little kink to his character i think we could have used but he already had the cravat i know but it would have added like even more mystery about him who is this guy who is this guy with that impeccable fashion st- taste and those natty dread yeah <laughs> he smells like patchouli <laughs> Benoit goes into the room with Polly relaying messages from Hobson and the doctor to him while Ben and Jamie are doing, who knows, they're just messing around with chairs. I I think they're probably chair jousting at this point while Polly's doing all the actual work. They're only able to get the device to move so much, but then Hobson realizes, oh, we just need to turn off some security doohickey, and soon the cyber everything just goes woo floating off into space yeah and everybody everybody's like yeah it's like that freeze frame at the end of every like 80s sports movie and i guess it turns out that gravity wasn't their weakness it was lack of gravity all along like you know everybody's weakness yeah (laughs) And so we just get tons of boyings and tons of hilarity as everything just gets flung out into space, except the moon base, despite the fact that it apparently is just, like, not bolted into the ground in any way. But whatever. Yeah, the moon starts to spin in the opposite direction. Yeah. So Hobson starts issuing orders to everybody as the doctor and friends Irish goodbye their way out of there. Yeah, that was that was that was that was also pretty good. Like, <laughs> where'd they go? Oh, those cheeky fuckers. And then they just keep rebuilding those them. scamps. <laughs> Inside the TARDIS, the doctor turns on the time scanner in order to get a glimpse of the future. Now we have never heard of the time scanner before. It's something he apparently rarely does because it's not very reliable. And narratively, it's a terrible idea to see, hey, what's our next adventure going to be? And on the screen, we just see a giant crab claw. Lazily waving around. (laughs) Next time, the Makra Terror. And Andy, you have actually seen Makra before. Oh, have I now? Episode Gridlock in um, New Who. Okay, all right. Trying to remember what that is. All right, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll, so I'll this see. is a recurring creature? It's something that appears again, yes. Interesting. Not quite in the same way, but they're there. But yeah, that is our episode. There's a lot of seafood this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they all sit down and have a nice meal. <laughs> uh, plankton. Plankton, fish people, crabs. Do you know, everyone likes to shit on red lobster, but I'd rather like the rolls. <laughs> Please respond, Moon Base. It's a good thing we decided to get rid of that PG-13 rating, huh? Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I know. I still need to make an announcement about that, by the way. I'll do that sometime soon. I mean, I hope you did it before the beginning of this episode. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Our reactions to this, are we going to give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a meh? Oh, boy. Let's start with Andy. Andy, uh, what do you want to give uh, it? It couldn't be anything other than an extraordinarily unqualified, <laughs> enthusiastic thumbs up. Like, I loved this episode. I had such a great time. Like, the animations were great. It was totally, just totally wacky. But like, like you said, the Cybermen... 
it's basically the same friggin' story. But, you know, you could also argue that much like actual mythology, it's it's a bit of like it gets slowly kind of refined and perfected over the years. You know, like Gilgamesh becomes Beowulf becomes such a sorry for getting all Joseph Campbell on you. But like, yeah, I, I, it was way better than the 10th planet. Way better. Like Agreed. there was some genuine like moments of like suspense and dis- like despite all the wacky kit peddler stuff like uh, or because of yeah or because honestly yes <laughs> yeah honestly be- uh yeah I t- oh, god I loved it I loved I loved everything right down to like the the bitchy Earth control who you never see ever it's great no thumb I got two thumbs and they're both up oh boy Bay how about you. What are you giving it, Bay? I mean, after that enthusiastic review from Andy, I came in here wanting to give this a meh. It had been a few weeks since we watched it, and it didn't stick so well with me. But I've got to admit, it's it beats the crap out of The Tenth Planet. It's a better version of The Tenth Planet. This is a serial that The Tenth Planet should have been. The Cybermen are better in every conceivable way, including how they die. It's very disturbing. And I and I do think like episode four is quite satisfying. I've come around on it. I I, I can't reach the same level of enthusiasm, <laughs> I think, as Andy. But I, I do think that this was good. It makes me want to see more Cybermen getting blasted off into space <laughs> or melting. Yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up, too. This is a very enjoyable episode. It It's the 10th planet, but better. I mean, yeah, sure, it doesn't end with the regeneration, but not everything can. The yeah. story itself, it's an improvement all around. I'm not I'm not crazy about the the like siege serials. The oh. siege serials seem a little boring to me. Uh do you want to tell him or should I? <laughs> we're we're headed toward a whole slew of them, I know. Yeah. I mean, there aren't always siege episodes, but a lot of the upcoming ones are siege stories, and you'll still have this kind of story throughout. That's just not but, constant. Here's here's one of the reasons I, I think like that's probably okay, especially with this doctor. He's like such raw chaos that I feel like interesting things are still going to happen, even if it's like basically the same story. Because he'll come up with something absolutely bonkers, like reversing gravity. Yeah. Their one weakness, the force of gravity. <laughs> I mean, that was definitely like the 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 obviest of Chekhov guns, right? Like the huge gravity beam that they all keep talking about, right? You know. But yeah, no, I really liked this story. It's it's good, and the animation quality is great. What really we actually good. got to see was great. Um, yeah, all around. Solid story. Feels like very rotoscoped almost. I'm glad that we got the episodes that we got. And if you'd asked me to pick the ones to replace with animation, I would probably have picked the ones that were replaced with animation because they were like the ones that I guess benefited the most from it. But I realized, uh, you know, watching the live action ones, there really is no substitute for actually being able to see, you know, Patrick Troughton emoting and performing because there's a lot of like manic subtlety to him. And like just even the way he moves his mouth, that is that I'm glad we got to see it. Anytime you get to see Patrick Trouton is great. I wish we could see more of him, but we get. I wouldn't what we be get. surprised if they end up finding some of this. Hopefully. Oh yeah, I mean it's it, it's the holy grail of like sci-fi broadcasts for somebody to find this stuff. But I mean, 
every year that goes by. And there's always rumors, but you never know. So yeah, with our viewing numbers, it was a pretty straight 8.1 million viewers throughout, except for episode two, which oddly jumped up to 8.9 million. Mm. Don't ask me why. Maybe some of the ads. All those publicity stills with Cybermen using phones? (laughs) I guess it was. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty, it it seems to have done the trick because it had a pretty good number of viewers. Not quite up to its heyday, but better than some that we've had in, you know, the past season or so. With our reactions, Doctor Who superfan Jeremy Bentham says, Part of the success of this story lies in the nightmarish quality of the scenes set on the moon's surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He phrases the use of slow motion to build up the suspense of the astronauts being chased by the Cybermen on yes. the surface. Of course, I think that bit was animated when we saw it, but he's kind of working off his memory of seeing these 10 years before he wrote these reviews. So, Other reviews we have, more modern reviews. The Discontinuity Guide says, The moon base is illogical and boring, reducing the Cybermen to the role of intergalactic gangsters. A waste of the talent involved. Naughty. So they loved it. One review named Patching the Hole in the Moon Base with a Drink (laughs) Tray, one of the silliest moments in the show's history. Oh, seriously? (laughs) I mean, there are a lot stupider things that have happened. Literally, anytime anybody says anything like that, I'm just like, you're wrong if it's not the web planet. Sorry. <laughs> like, it's just... Well, they said one of, not the... Yeah, but man, woof. A space helmet for a cow begins by saying, it's the 10th planet on the moon, complete with crew of international stereotypes and a wanton disregard for basic scientific principles. <laughs> <laughs> The moon base is riddled with the sort of holes no tea tray in the galaxy can plug. (laughs) Oh, I like that, actually. (laughs) So pithy. The Cybermen have basically won and then decide, hey, let's blow a chunk out of the base for no reason, after which it all unravels for them. (laughs) And of course, we have a great scene of Cybermen marching across the surface of the moon, two comic boings as they jump in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Sandifer says it has some gaping flaws but it's also easy to see why it would have been memorable when it first aired rather than feeling like a twisted version of humanity the Cybermen are now robots who like mocking people so (laughs) not quite as good Trouden's big line that I referred to is our new mission statement and is one of the key moments One of his key moments as the doctor. Yeah. And she also says to note the delivery of it. He says it very quietly. It's not a triumphant rallying cry, but it's more a weary acceptance of his role in the universe. No, he's like completely serious about it, too. Yeah. She's still around. She's still with us, I hope. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah she's I, would love to, I would love to meet her someday. Cause I, everything she says is like really, really intuitive. Thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I think that is important, too, because it's almost it's almost I mean, I think we see some shadows of it before. But this is, I think, the most direct seed for the doctor as I understand him. Right. Yeah. And she says that this story completes our transition to our new doctor and shows us what the show is now about. 
And that's yeah. about taking out the monsters. Right. Like help helping when you have to. Because, yeah. As usual, About Time is the harshest of our critics. They say this story's reputation cannot be justified. It's as if the production office is thinking it's in the moon and it's got Cybermen. And relying on that one idea to carry the whole show as this month's gimmick. In an attempt to turn them into the heirs of the Daleks, everything interesting has been surgically removed. They say there's no ambition here beyond not being a disaster and living up to the hype of the return of the Cybermen. And my favorite line of their review, we're beginning to suspect that Peddler studied medicine in 1888. <laughs> 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 See, I get it. I do. Like, especially like, because I've, I've kind of used, I have had this internal alchemy that has gone on inside me where I'm just like, I, f- I fucking love Kid Peddler. Like, I'm, I'm, ped- I'm, get me in the pedal club. But like, um, I get it. I do get it. I just, like, sometimes I wonder, like, did, was were there like three episodes in like this, the, the 80s where they're like, this is the pinnacle and then everything <laughs> else just sucks. Like, I'm, I'll be very interested to see what, how they take on kind of modern, modern who. So, yeah. I like when there's a, like a little bit of nuance to the the reviews. I yeah, I don't like it when it's just a hit piece. That's one of the things I like about Sandiford's stuff because like she can be unremittingly harsh, but there's she always seems like every time I think she's going to be like really harsh, you know, she's got something really you, thoughtful. You to got say it. Too. You got to find those like li- little kernels. It can't right. just all be awful. I thought. Um, the comment about the original concept of the Cybermen being a twisted view of humanity was really interesting. And if we lose that after this episode, that'll be really a shame because that is one element. I thought the Cybermen were, by the way, better in almost every way in this serial. Uh, I thought they looked better. I thought they sounded better. But I do like that like really disturbing... We're mankind with all the feelings stripped out of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is the one thing we're kind of missing here with these Cybermen. I, I do agree. We, we sometimes get that. We sometimes don't. It really varies. Mm. But like at their best, that is what that is what they are. And what it, they it makes should them be. a much more yeah. personal uh, sort of villain. And it, it I, I mean, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that like that. I do believe that kernel has always remained r- ridiculous, though they can sometimes be. Yeah. And Bay, I just want to say you are very much in the shadows in my view. And I realize you look very much like a Cyberman wearing <laughs> with, with the headphones yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so our modern consensus with our poll numbers, very middling. In 2008, it was number 112 out of 200. In 2013, it was number 113 out of 241. So yeah, stayed very samey. Our impact is, of course, this story was successful enough that another Cyberman story was commissioned before the end of the month. Wow. Wait, wait. It, was commis- it wasn't commissioned for filming before the end of the month. No, it was like they, they commissioned it like in March, just like pretty soon after awesome. the, this finished airing. So, yeah, we're getting more Cybermen coming up because they are now going to be our default monsters. That's 
fine. I think like you can go a little bit overboard if it's just like all Cybermen all the time. Like they did with the Daleks? The Daleks, we got maybe one or two a season and it wasn't so painful. If we go like two serials and then there's another Cyberman serial, I might be a little bit disappointed. (laughs) Anyway, that is everything that I've got. I guess that just about wraps it up for the moon base. Uh, Next time we have giant crab monsters and the Makra Terror. Um, So yeah, um, please... You know, follow us on Twitter at Dr. Who's That. Email Dr. Who's That at Gmail. Uh, join our Facebook group. Please subscribe, rate, share, do all those good things. I realize when this finally airs, some time will probably have passed and this will be a little bit overdue. But uh, I really do hope that all of our listeners out there had a very Merry Christmas or uh whatever they happen to celebrate this time of year and a happy new year we look forward to seeing you in uh 2023 and i guess about the time when we're releasing this you'll you guys will be celebrating happy saint patrick's day (laughs) (laughs) yeah you'd better not be dead out there (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah just have a good night everybody and remember bam bam you've been peddled good night everybody Peddler, peddler. <laughs> <laughs>